Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's French Open quarterfinals catch-up. Iga Svantec's streak moves up to 33 wins. Sasha Zverev breaks his top 10 wins duck. And Rafa Nadal clinches an early morning epic against Novak Djokovic. Kim, today is the 1st of June and we are here to catch up on the quarterfinals at the French Open at Passing Shot HQ. We are coming off a win for Marin Cilic, who is into the semi-finals with an excellent, excellent tie-break over Andriy Rublev in the fifth set. He joins Rafael Nadal and Sasha Zverev. We are waiting for the evening match with Holger Rune and Kasper Rude coming onto the court. But uh, we've got to start with... You're a Rafa fan. How are your nerves after last night? Or should I say this morning? Oh, yeah, I've just been a bundle of nervous energy, (laughs) I think, this whole week. And to be fair, I'm still a bundle of nervous energy. Yeah, it was very emotional. Uh, Any Rafa fans listening and and Djokovic fans, I'm sure you'll understand and and agree. It's always a tense affair, especially at a Grand Slam when those two meet. Uh, So much history behind it you know this was their 59th matchup I think wasn't it so um Rafa's pegged one back now 30 29 to Novak uh in the head-to-head but yeah I'm surprised somewhat relieved delighted that Rafa came through um so glad it didn't go to a fifth set I have to say I think you know maybe it would have been different but I mean it was late enough when it finished so I was just glad that we we got a result. I was going to say, Kim, <laughs> I think everyone who had work the next day was was kind of glad it uh, didn't go to a, a fifth set. I mean, it finished at one fifteen local time. There's been lots of talk about, you know, the time it did finish. Both Nadal and Djokovic have admitted that it's, you know, the match started too late and perhaps that the scheduling does need to look, be looked at in the future. And we will we will get onto that because there does seem to be a lot of kind of talking points at the moment with regards to the scheduling, not just the timing, but also in relation to just men's matches just being put on as the, you know, the evening session match. I think nine of the 10 sessions so far have been headlined by uh, a men's match. So there is a lot to, to, to discuss there, but let's discuss the match itself because Nadal, he won four sets, 6 2, 4 6, 6 2, 7 6 in that fourth set tie break. I mean, it was amazing, I think, for me watching it, for him to get that done in, in four, because Djokovic was leading 5 2 in that fourth set, and you were sort of expecting him to come through that. And he had set points, and you felt if it did go to a fifth, you wondered. Had Nadal's moment faded, was you know Djokovic in the ascendancy? So it was really amazing to see Nadal fight back and, and clinch it on a tie break. And perhaps, just perhaps, Novak Djokovic's lack of Grand Slam experience, given that he wasn't at the Australian Open and hadn't played you know in this sort of environment, I feel since you know the back end of last year at the U.S. Open, and perhaps that did it in for him more than anything else. Yeah, I think we had just assumed that Novak was back to like full mm. Novak, but actually he hadn't played a match longer than three sets since coming back. You know, he missed the AO, missed Indian Wells, Miami. You know, it, it was only kind of a month ago that he was fading big time to Rublev in the, the Belgrade final. So yeah. perhaps we kind of assumed he was back to full full fitness, uh, peak Novak like already too soon. Um, but yeah, actually it did seem that he was actually the one tiring uh, more than Rafa and you know all the talk about Rafa's foot and the fact that he had the long match with FAA on Sunday and actually Rafa you know looked the fresher of the two Um, but it was a strange match to some extent with with kind of quite a few ups and downs you know Rafa was what six two three love up could have gone four love up and then Novak you know pegged it back clinched that second set and 
And then Rafa got that immediate break at the start of the third. Like the momentum was, you know, always kind of changing. And and as we've seen in, in their matches in the past, um, I was, you know, last year when they played in the semi, I remember Rafa got off to a really good fast start then. And, you know, Novak pegged him back and I thought, you know, this is <laughs> almost is this what's going to happen again. But Rafa was... It was eerily similar, wasn't it? It, it was, was, yeah. And I thought, oh, here we go. <laughs> yeah, I know, I, exactly. I was I was waiting for, for Novak Djokovic to turn up in that second set. It was it was quite fascinating at that, that beginning because, you know, all the talk going into it was that the, the conditions were going to favour Djokovic and, you know, Nadal was going to be in a real battle both against his opponent, but also the conditions. But... Actually, it started the the complete opposite, and Nadal really kind of put it to to Novak Djokovic. And I think what was different from from last time was that he didn't, I think, get sucked into extended cross court rallies where you know it was Djokovic's forehand to Nadal's backhand, and ultimately, I felt that was one of the reasons that Djokovic won their you know their match here last year. But I think this year Nadal really made an you know really made a point of keeping those rallies short, not getting into those extended situations and trying to play surprise, surprise to his forehand as much as possible, whether that was going down the line or, you know, opening, opening up with the inside out forehand. It really, I think, was the the big weapon that on its day is very, very destructive. And in that match yesterday against Novak Djokovic, I think we saw it in particular in that first set at its destructive best. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, I thought the way that Rafa obviously had learned from from their match last year. And mm. I think, you know, a lot of people were saying, you know, this is the night session. It favours Novak. Um, but actually, the conditions were quite similar to the 2020 final uh, where, where Rafa obviously you know, mm. thrashed Novak. So straight sets. it's not necessarily the case that night sessions do not favour Rafa. Like he has shown that he can obviously play very well in, in obviously in day and night in different conditions at Roland Garros, you know, on this court. So, um, I mean, I feel bad almost for like doubting Rafa. You know, I had openly said on the last episode that I thought Novak was going to win, but because I just thought, you know, Rafa's foot and the way we'd seen him in, in Rome, like he hasn't had a great clay court season, has he? I mean, he obviously missed a few tournaments. Then when he did come back, you know, he's struggling with the foot. What he's having to do, like at this tournament with his doctor, his regime, just to get himself through, you know, he has said that's not sustainable long term and it's just what they're doing for this tournament. And he doesn't know if he's going to play here again. Like he just doesn't know this foot problem is... It's very, very difficult. He's in a lot of pain. So, you know, he's just taking it one match at a time and just being grateful for being there. And as a fan, I'm, I guess I'm trying to do the same thing. I've got no idea what's going to happen in the semi-final on Friday. You know, lots of people are saying that, you know, this match may well have been the final. You know, Rafa's, oh, you know, clearly going to win the title now. But that would be underestimating, you know, Zverev and whoever reaches the final um at their peril you know you can't do that he's he's in the semi-finals he's still got matches to play um but for this particular match of Novak it was you know I think such an important win for Rafa to to prove that he can still he can still do it like against Novak you know on this court at this age with his foot problem I think it's remarkable that he came through and also having a, a five-set match against Felix Auger-Aliassim in in the previous round this wasn't like you know he had you know, walked through the, the whole tournament and was going into this kind of super fresh, you know, there's a lot of mileage already in those legs because of that, you know, the extensiveness of that match, I feel, against FAA. I mean, it, it was interesting you talking about, you know, the feeling that with Rafa, whether we, we don't know something about what, what you know, he's going to, if he's going to make an announcement about, you know, his future with regards to, you know, his foot, it was interesting him talking about the fact that we, we know that it's a, a chronic injury and it, it sounds like they don't have a solution right now. And it sounds like if they don't have a solution, then he is a lot more kind of uncertain about what the, you know, the future holds for him. And I think you've really got a sense of that in that match against Djokovic, because of course the, the crowd was very pro Nadal, but I felt it was like, I actually felt it was like pro Nadal in the sense of like, they had this realization that this may have been his his last. It could have been his last match if it had ended in a loss, and as a result of that, they did not want that to happen. And there was almost like an air of, "I just hope he wins, so I can, you know, we can see him on this court 
you know, one more time. And um, it, it's just amazing given, you know, what he has been through, all those injury troubles, crutches, his foot, considering how he started the clay season, for him to then go eight and a half hours or so, you know, in his past two matches and come out on top against some seriously elite level competition in, in Ojaliasim and Novak Djokovic. It is really, it really kind of, you know, asserts his status. I mean, we already knew this before, but it even more, I think, rubber stamps it of how being one of, if not the greatest clay quarter of all time. You know, he's got another match against Sasha Zverev coming up on Friday. And I think he will be grateful that they were the, uh, they were a quarterfinal that will allow him to have two days off as opposed to one day off, which the, the winners will today. Yeah, I think that extra day will be really, really helpful. I think Rafa mm. only hit for like 30 minutes today. So obviously resting uh, wisely, you know, for, for Friday, um, whether that's going to be day or night session. I assume there's a separate night session on, on the Friday as well for the semi. But um, yeah, I think with the fans, you know, they know that, his career is is in the twilight phase and there's always that sense of well you know you don't know what you've got till it's gone or when it's going you can really really appreciate it more so I think like that's a natural reaction to have and I think also you know because of what happened in Australia with Novak you know people have perhaps turned against him a bit more than they would have done 12 months ago you know some some people just weren't a fan of of the fact that he hasn't been vaccinated and that whole situation in Australia. So, you know, perhaps he has lost a bit of love uh, along the way as well this year. Um, I mean, talking about, you know, the crowds and this brings us on to to the scheduling. Um, you know, this match finished gone 1am in the morning. There are no, uh, I think there's no public transport to get people home at that time. So the fans that did stay, I, you know, hope they all got home safely because this is an issue that was raised to Amelie Moresmo, the tournament director, um, you know, about how late these matches are starting in the night session, how late they're finishing. And she actually admitted that they hadn't even like particularly thought about that um, and that they were going to have to put something in place like for next year, because they hadn't really considered the lack of local, you know, public transport infrastructure. And it seems a bit daft that that, that wasn't already thought about. Um, you it's, know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it feels unbel- it feels unbelievable. I'm amazed how honest Amelie Moresmo is with regards to, I feel like, quite a few faults in relation to the, the planning and the scheduling, particularly with the evening sessions, because I feel it really has been, I think, the talk of one of the talking points of the tournament so far and you know for her to come out and say in her interview we do not have the means to organize this for 15,000 people yet well if if you're going to put these evening sessions on you need to think about everyone you can't just think about doing this i think for for the tv audience and the tv money you've got to think about the fans as well and uh you know i was i was kind of scrolling on on social media afterwards and you know apparently there were long queues for taxis i have no doubt the the uber surcharge was in operation with people trying to get home it felt like a it, it felt like a, a miss you know a misstep given you know if you're going to put these on you need to prepare for all these sorts of eventualities if you're going to have no curfew because you know we we obviously know wimbledon and and wimbledon does have a curfew and one of the reasons for that is because there is no pub, you know, then, you know, TFL aren't running public transport, um, you know, into the into the early hours on, on a weekday night. And uh, it perhaps is something that they need to look at in the future. If they really kind of think evening sessions are the way forward, they're going to have to make it more and more viable for the fans. Because at the moment, you can't just expect people to just be able to leave at one thirty a.m. in a taxi or, or whatever. You need to give them different routes different alternatives and mass public transport surely is one of them that you you need to be offering yeah because I remember this was an issue when the world tour finals came to London you know they had to for subsequent years make that evening session start a bit earlier because there just Mm. wasn't a way of people getting home and everyone was filing out you know while the match was still going on if, if it went late and you know it's not just the fans you have to think of it's it's also the players and I know players are used to playing at nocturnal hours all over the world and you know in some places like Australia where it's super hot in the day it can be helpful obviously to to play later and when it's cooler but I don't think it's it's not healthy for someone's body clock to get so messed up uh, especially if they're due back on court like quite soon after you know we we saw that happen to to Zverev in, in Madrid you know he had 
two really late finishes you know, like on consecutive days and was pretty much destroyed for that final. So it's not really healthy for anyone, um, apart from, I guess, TV executives' pay pockets, uh, which it, it's the reason why we have these sessions at these times. Yeah, it feels very, very artificial. We're just sort of catering for one audience and one audience alone. I mean, Novak Djokovic said... There are a difference of opinions about the night sessions. I think they are starting too late. But again, TV decides that's the world we are living in. They, the broadcasters, give the money. And uh, it sounds like (laughs) French Open, you know, we know a a few years ago because of the pandemic, we're in a real kind of tough spot in terms of in terms of money. You know, they went out on a limb and (laughs) moved their tournament to October to make sure that it happened without, you know, notifying um, all the other you know governing bodies in in tennis. And, you know, they're obviously looking for ways to kind of generate that that revenue, potentially lost revenue from the the pandemic. And, you know, it sounds like it's probably been a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction in terms of, you know, looking at other events like the US Open, the Australian Open, and being like, oh, having two sessions, having a day session, and an evening session, that's a way for us to make money. And they've completely gone for it, but it doesn't sound like they've really factored in absolutely everything. And Kim, when you just see it on TV, it just does not feel like the French Open should have an evening session. Like there are people in blankets. It doesn't look that particularly warm. It's just one match at the moment. So it doesn't really feel like a, an event or an a you know, an occasion outside something like, a, you know, an epic kind of matchup like, a, you know, Novak Djokovic versus Rafael Nadal. But it doesn't have the same, I feel like, atmosphere that, you know, we've been there at the, the Australian Open. I've been there as well at the US Open on those night sessions. I don't feel like it's it has the same sort of vibe to it. Yeah, I think it's all very well if you've got the day session and it just goes on and extends into the evening, like which we see that at Wimbledon sometimes, or they sometimes add extra matches on. But just having like one match as an evening session, for for me, I I would rather have two scheduled. But, you know, one match alone lasts long enough. You're going to have to start it significantly earlier if you've got two scheduled. And yeah, it doesn't really lend itself to to the same format I think like you see in Australia where because of the weather and the heat it, it just it just works so much better with this sort of cold damp European summer condition sometimes it's not if if the French Open they do want to send us some of those nice blankets I would happily oh, yeah. I would happily take them because yeah. uh, they did look quite they did look quite snug and quite warm in the uh in the posh seats but um yeah, it it is it is it is I think one that is going to be debated for a while to come. I have no doubt we will see Know, evening sessions in the in the future I do think there is a general talking point about sport and I I like to call like the Netflixification of sport where it feels like we're just you know just tennis I think we've seen in Formula One these sports are becoming more and more influenced it seems by TV providers whether that's Netflix Amazon Prime whoever and they're making the they're making the big decisions and we should be getting back to you know what this tournament is about being for the players, being for the fans, and we should be factoring their their perspectives in as much as, um, if not to be honest, more than uh, you know, prioritizing TV. Because again, watching the match last night on commentary, they were talking about the fact that it want they want the matches to start later is because they don't want it to be scheduled the same time as the the French news, which is apparently very very popular. So. It's things like that where I'm just like, this is a bit, you know, this is a bit silly. We need to think about the players here. And I don't think they've got the balance quite right yet. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if they make any adjustments going forward or whether they just are like, yeah, we hear you, but the money ultimately is is too good for us. So we're just going to continue. Yeah. The other side of this as well is with the night sessions, they've only had one night session for a women's match. Everything else has been, mm. you know, men's, men's, men's matches. And Amelie Marisme was again asked about this. Uh, the fact that, you know, she's not putting women in the, in the night session. It sends out a message that women's tennis is not popular, that it's not wanted. And, you know, she kind of said that, yeah, like that, that's kind of what she's considering. She's thinking, looking at the draw, who are the stars that she's putting out on there on the night session? And she's kind of essentially not really sticking up for, for women's tennis in a way. She's kind of saying Are you that. Surprised? Well, I, I am a bit because I just thought that, you know, as a woman, she would like. Mm 
yeah, get it a bit more. The fact that, you know, she might have felt when she was playing on the WTA that she wasn't getting as much credit as the male equivalents, you know, at the time. But I guess she's probably under a lot of influence, you know, from the TV networks. I think they said that, you know, months ago, several networks were like basically saying, you know, we want these players, we want these particular matches on. And I guess she's got those sorts of stakeholders to, to think about as much as she might deep down want to put more women on. But I just think, you know, in this day and age, it's not right. And for next year, I really hope that they can increase the the number of women's matches. I mean, it's not like every night we've had household male names play. Like we've got Rude versus Rune tonight. Neither of those are household names. Um, I know they they couldn't really put obviously the women's quarters on tonight because they've got the semis tomorrow. So I understand today that's a bit different. But you know, even last week there would have been some cracking women's matches you could have put on there. And you know, it's not like we've had Djokovic or Rafa every night um, for the for the men's side of things. And I don't know. I mean, how do people get to become household names unless you're going to put them in these positions where they can actually be watched? You know, it's kind of a chicken and egg situation, isn't it? I mean, next year, if you're in Amelie Moresmo's shoes, what what would you do as your like? Pro, what would be your ideal nighttime nighttime scheduling for the French Open in in 2023? Well, I mean, you could have a if you're worried about timings. You know, I understand having a women's match and a man's match in the night session to make it fair and, and even the time time wise, that's probably too much. So why don't you have one night man's you know, men's men's match. Maybe the next night, if you could put two women's matches on, you know, because it's obviously they're, they're playing best of three. Why don't you schedule two women's matches? Um, but I mean, you'd, I'd want to regardless. I would want to be starting the night session earlier. I think 7.45, sorry, 8.45 local time. Far too late. I think it should be like two hours earlier than that. I think at the US Open, they start their night session at 7 p.m., so why, you know, why don't they do the same here? Um, I mean, I'm also for them putting, you know, things like mixed doubles, um, that sort of thing on there. If, if they want kind of a match and a half, I'm not saying dub, mixed doubles should be reduced to being considered as a half, but, you know, they do play a, a champion's tie break. So there are sort of, you know, they're generally shorter matches, aren't they? So so I think that could be a solution, Joel. But what about your, what would your schedule be? What if you were tournament director? I, I, you know, I, I would have, I'd keep it very simple. I would have two matches. I'd make it feel more like an occasion and I'd make sure you'd have one men's match and one's women's match, but you, you started earlier, but also you started the day session earlier. Um, I think they can, I think they can start an hour earlier. I think they can get more tennis in and not make it too, not make the schedule feel too crazy by having such a, having such a late start. Um, Another thing as well, I think what would be quite interesting, um, you know, I've seen, you know, in, in the past at the US Open, you know, they've had like ladies night, uh, you know, it's the night session and it's headlined by female players. And I, I again, I wonder if, you know, if you don't think that the, the you know, there's there is enough high profile, you know, women's players, then why don't you make a, you know an event of it and call it, you know, make the first Friday like ladies night or something and you know, just use it as a platform to just show, you know, all the great things about women's tennis on, you know, in the night session. Um, I think there are certainly ways ways around it. But I, I do think that if you brought the scheduling forward, um, then I think you could not run into these issues that they're having. And I think it would just make the tournament easier to over, you know, the tournament easier to run. And it, I think it'll ultimately also give them less challenges to think about, you know, like, we're only talking about the transport situation because this man- this match finished at you know one fifteen local time. If you start earlier, you might not necessarily run into these um, situations. But um, yeah, it is very it is it is very interesting, and I think that you know there is a the- there is a theme here. I think in Paris at the moment because you know we saw the the issues with you know the Champions League at the um, you know the Stade the Stade Francais in Paris a few days ago. And, you know, we've got the Olympics coming up in, in a couple of years also in, in Paris. So 
it doesn't really bode well. I feel like for organisation and, and ad- administration of of big events in the French capital. But uh, hopefully they can get it right in the future. Yeah, as long as there's no tear gas at Roland Garros, I think we're uh, we're not quite as as bad as that at the moment. But um. Let's get on to the other quarterfinal from yesterday on the men's side because uh, everyone was thinking that Carlos Alcaraz was going to be the opponent of uh, either... Kim, everyone but me. Oh, everyone, yeah. <laughs> to be fair, you did go with Zverev, actually. <laughs> um, I got all my predictions wrong from the other day. We'll get onto some of those later. Absolutely shocking day from me. Uh, yeah, Sasha Zverev into his uh, second straight semi-final at Roland Garros. I'd actually forgotten he reached the semi-finals here last year um, with a four-set victory over Carlos Alcaraz. 6-4-6-4-4-6-7-6. A lot of people hoping that it was going to go to a fifth uh, but I'm sure Rafa and Novak were glad that it didn't <laughs> because they would have yeah. been even so later. So Moresme did it as well. Yeah, she was probably having kittens uh, thinking, oh no, everyone's going to be having a go at me and my scheduling. Uh, well, they will anyway. But um, yeah, Alcaraz, not at the races, those first two sets. Uh, very disappointing, I think, fr- from him generally. He was obviously able to to get back into it from that third set onwards. But Zverev, yeah, doing what he needed to do. Um upping his game, getting his first top 10 win at a Grand Slam. Uh, 27 main main slam, sorry, main draws of Grand Slams. It's taken him to get to this point to beat a top 10 player. Um, and ironically, that is a player that's literally just become a top 10 player. So, um, you know, not kind of a, a stalwart of the top 10, shall we say. I think it was a result that took some people by surprise. I think given, you know, if you had seen their match in, in Madrid you know, Alcaraz versus Zverev, the last time they played, it was a complete, you know, whitewash for Alcaraz. And, you know, in such in such a short space of time, you you know, some fans, you know, would have wondered, you know, how how is Zverev really gonna gonna turn this around? But but as you kind of alluded to, there were mitigating kind of circumstances in Madrid given, you know, Zverev's schedule finishing really late. Also the clay in Madrid completely different. And uh, you know, in this match as well, I think Zverev was just unbelievable from the first point. In particular, his first serve was just completely, um, just completely dominating and helping him start, you know, each of his service points on the right foot. I mean, he served at over 70% first serves in throughout the whole match, which is a, a pretty high level for someone who's, you know, putting in the ball at over, you know, 200 plus kilometers an hour. So I think that was one of the big factors in in helping him get this victory I think he could have won it in in straight sets to be honest there was just one dodgy game he had in that third set and it sort of flipped it and you did wonder you know is, is Alcaraz kind of coming into the ascendancy and you know I think before we've seen Zverev at Grand Slams uh, particularly against other top 10 players where he has been in the contest but he's not necessarily been able to kind of close it and it's normally ended in a in a four set or five set um, defeat, which has certainly, I think, happened in his, his last few Grand Slam matches against top 10 opponents. But I think what was really impressed, what really impressed me was, again, he didn't really show that fragility or that vulnerability, I think, that we saw in you know his previous matches at this at this level where, you know, at the stage of a slam where he's just kind of faltered and, you know, he's got down in the dumps, he's got negative, he's been looking at his box for the answers and they've not you know they've not appeared and before you know it he's lost the match but he was really able to kind of make sure that in that fourth set when it did go to that tie break it was very very close and you know Alcaraz was was pumped and he was very very close to pushing it to, to fifth set but Zverev was able to just keep his concentration up get those first serves in and was just playing fantastically well from the back of the court. Yeah, reading a lot of Alcaraz's drop shots as well, uh, mm. which we know he loves to throw in a drop shot, uh, usually to to great effect. But Zverev was, uh, yeah, picking quite a few of those up. And um, I mean, don't forget, Zverev almost won the US Open in 2020. He had a championship point, I think, didn't he, against Dominic Team uh, in that final and wasn't able to capitalize. So he, te- you know, he's he's been very very close. A lot of Scottish. There's a lot of Scottish issue there, I think, in terms of. You know how big I think this this victory is um, over, as I said, over a, a top over a top ten opponent in best of five at a Grand Slam because because of those situations he's been in before. You know he's already said that 
I mean, it was very, very different from early on in the competition. He was what, match point down against Sebastian Byers. And at the net, he said to him, look, you know, I've been in your position where you've been in two, you know, two sets up and, and you've lost it in five. And I think, you know, now having, you know, won this match, broken this, this jinx, I think that the top 10 have had over him, he will have, I think, tremendous confidence going into, into that match against Nadal and, it will be. I think it will be fascinating to see because I think Zverev brought a really high level of tennis that I don't think a lot of people were expecting um, in his quarterfinal against Alcaraz. And if he can keep those first serve percentages up over kind of seventy percent, yes, easier said than done. But if he can do that and also keep the double faults down and keep his second serve, um, you know, in an attacking position. You know, he's got a chance there. This, this Nadal, he's just had eight and a half hours on, on court in his last two matches. It's not a foregone conclusion just because he's beaten Novak Djokovic. No, exactly. And, you know, Zverev has, has age on his side and I think is, is physically he seems to be okay at the moment. And I mean, mm. I do wonder, has this win, yeah, opened the floodgates and he's not going to have that like mental blockage from, from now on? I mean, Rafa has a 4-1, you know, head-to-head on clay against Zverev. So... Based on sort of their, you know, previous meetings, experience, etc., you've, you know, you've got to favour Rafa, I guess, in that respect. You know, they've not played at Roland Garros. I know Zverev beat Rafa in Madrid, I think, last year. But, you know, Rafa is the one that's most experienced at this stage of this Grand Slam. So, um I think I'm not going to assume or, or presume that Rafa's going to win. I think it's going to be incredibly difficult. But... Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to make predictions anymore, Joel, because they were so terrible before. <laughs> Obviously, I want Rafa to win. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, what was quite interesting in that that Zverev Alcaraz match, and again, I think was another reason that Alcaraz's game was not as high as perhaps other players, other people were expecting. Was this match was in the day session? Um, you know, Alcaraz has played the majority of, of his matches so far in the night session when the conditions are different. You know, the ball doesn't bounce as high namely being one of them and I think he took he took quite a while I feel in this match to really kind of get a feel of the ball and get into some sort of rhythm because again in the the first couple of sets there were some you know there were some framed forehands there were some framed backhands you know just some really regular shots that you would just expect him to make were not quite um you know not quite hitting the mark and I I do think again that, that night session I think is very very marmite in terms of your you know, in terms of adapting to it and, you know, figuring out, you know, that that transition of, of how you're meant to play in the day session versus the night session. Zverev, of course, has not played in the night session yet. So I do wonder if that was a bit of a a bit of a factor in in his wing, given that he was able he was just able, I think he was just he just knew the conditions and, you know, was able to kind of play play to them from the first point. Whereas I think Alcraz just took a quite a bit of time to just sort of get used to you know the bounce of the ball yeah no definitely I think that that could very well have, have factored into it Alcaraz I think has been getting a lot of the night sessions uh, I think Amelie Mesmer is probably a bit obsessed with uh, Carlos Alcaraz or at least certain <laughs> TV networks are um, I, I know one of my mates was saying that he loves it when really hyped players um, kind of get their comeuppance or, or don't quite deliver um and I feel like maybe that's what's happened with Alcaraz you know he has been very very hyped up we were certainly expecting him to get to the semi-finals and I don't know I think obviously he's so young like I don't think this is anything to worry about you know maybe he he was a bit um nervous at the start of this match he wasn't playing anywhere near you know the level that he can so it's all it's all a learning experience like he's at this stage of a slam for the first time so you know overall he's had a fantastic clay season but yeah he's gonna obviously want to be able to perform next time he's in this stage of a tournament but Joel one player who absolutely performed the other night and also today is Marin Cilic because I, I think we, we owe him a bit of an apology because well I mean at least I do because I said that Daniel Medvedev was suddenly like the favourite to, to reach the final <laughs> from that section of the draw. And then he goes and gets whooped uh, in three straight sets by Chilich. Uh, I don't think... Shocking. Medvedev didn't even have a break point on Chilich's no. serve. It was so one-sided. <laughs> I mean, it was right up there in terms of one of Daniel Medvedev's worst performances on, a, you know, a, a, sorry, at a, a Grand Slam. It was just an absolute rout. 
no break points. Marin Cilic won ninety percent of his first serve, his first serves as well. His it, he just played a, a level of tennis we've not seen. I feel for a few years. We know he's a very combative player. He's very experienced. He's been to, you know, he's won a, he's won a Grand Slam. Bit Nishikuri in that in that U.S. Open. He's he's got to Grand Slam finals before, and he's not phased. I think by the occasion or the moment. And although, you know, we all had a bit of fun with with Medvedev coming through the draw, defeating some very handy players. But when he came up against Cilic, he just had absolutely no answer. And for Marin Cilic, he, I mean, he said it himself, that was one of the best matches he has ever played. And uh, I don't think Medvedev should have any shame in, in this defeat. But Marin Cilic just, just drawed upon something that I've, I've not seen for him, arguably ever, at a time he needed it most. Yeah, I mean, he was just so dominant, wasn't he? And it's a, a pleasure to see because, you know, he's kind of been a bit in the wilderness with injury and whatnot in the last in the last few years. And this was genuinely one of the best matches of his career. And, you know, he was just delightful with the way he was playing. And, you know, he's now come through against Andre Rublev today in, in a last set tiebreak in the fifth set. Um, you know, Chilich definitely... I think the overall the better player today, like he really upped his level. Like that tie break was, you know, mm. very dominant from him. Yeah, really good stuff. So, um, you know, Rublev did, did so well to take it there. It was it was a really entertaining match. But Chilich just looks like reborn. He, you know, he looks so good for for. I mean, I want to say for his age, but you know, we think about him. He's the same age, I think, as like Novak and and Rafa. Like he, you know, perhaps he's even younger actually. I think uh, potentially, but. You know, we think of him as, I don't know, uh, in my mind, you know, I, I just wouldn't have thought he would get to the stage of a Grand Slam again. But he's actually now, you know, ticked off all the semifinals at all slams by by reaching by this one, by, by getting uh, this win over Rublev today. You know, he's an he's an all-court player now. He's, he's an all-surface uh, player, Joel. He, he can't say he's a, I don't know a grass court specialist, hard court specialist. And we know he's on his day, he can perform and pretty much beat anyone. You know, he's, he's no mark. He's, he's a grand slam champion and it's just, yeah, really unexpected, but I'm, I'm really pleased for him that he's, he's doing the business again. It's been, it's been a while. It has been a while, but you know, it's, it's, it's great to see because again, he's a player who, you know, I think a little bit like, you know, Songa, David Ferrer potentially, who arguably would have more Grand Slams to his name if the big three hadn't existed. And it just shows, I think, when when those sort of opportunities do open up, his his there's the level that he can go to can still take him places, even though he's, you know, what, in his, you know, thir- I think he's what, 33, 34 years old. And against, uh, you know, Medvedev and then Rublev today, he, again, just did not did not move an inch and you know in that tie break at the very end he just found another level that that Rublev was not able to to deal with and um you know he will be very very disappointed by that because Rublev still hasn't reached uh you know a Grand Slam semi-final he would have seen you know Marin Cilic as a big opportunity there I was amazed actually Cilic was able to kind of bring the same sort of level he brought against Daniel Medvedev through to his match against Rublev because we know how hard it is to back up um you know a big win but that fifth set was very very compelling uh you know both players you know really didn't give an inch it felt like they were you know in a spot of bother but then pulled out an ace or a big forehand or backhand and uh they were able to kind of hold serve so I think it was very fitting that it went to that that championship tiebreak at the end which was the first ever championship tiebreak to happen on on Philippe Chatrier and uh you know from from then on Chilic was like look I want a semi-final. I want to complete the set. Andrei Rublev, you're going to have your time at some point, but now is not your time. And uh, yeah, he just he just soared in, in that tie break and Rublev didn't really have an answer to it. No, but I think Rublev overall has had a decent Roland Garros, considering we mm. weren't really talking much about him going into it. I mean, he's he's lived up to his his seeding, but yeah, definitely for him, it's, it's getting to that next level, isn't it now? And um I think, you know, he probably came, well, I don't, I don't know. I think Chilich was, was obviously a winnable match. He came very, very close. But yeah, it's it's he's definitely 
like I hate this saying, but always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Um, that's very much Andre Rublev. <laughs> now I'm picturing him with like a bouquet of flowers. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, Chilich just another level at the end, and and obviously Chilich goes on to play the the winner of the Battle of the Scandinavians, which is taking place as we speak. Um, I mean, I bet they were glad that the match. I bet they were glad that there was a last set tiebreak because they would have been waiting and waiting around. Um, just looking at the scores as we speak, Casper Rude's five love up. So I think, well, is that the, a classic case of experience versus, you know? Holger Rune, very, very inexperienced at this level, um, is going to be a bit more nervy, obviously. And Rude, you know, although not significantly more experienced at this level, has been on the tour longer, um, is is probably going to be the one to keep his head in this moment. That's what I'm reading into this scoreline already. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I do get the sense. I do get the sense with that. You know, I did tip Casper Rude in our in our previous episode in in this match i do think as i said it's very hard to back up big wins and you know holger rune had a very big win against stefanos sissipas in the last round and to keep up that level to keep up that consistency to go back to back it is always a very much a challenge particularly when you're so new to the game as is holger rune so um yeah it doesn't necessarily surprise me but at the same time still very much early days who knows you know, what is in store for uh, Rude versus Rune as the night session progresses. Um, but yeah, I think Casper Rude, he's had a very good start to the season. Could have maybe done better in the warm-up events, I think, in the on, on at the tour level. But he's certainly come to the party when it has come to the showpiece event at the French Open. Yeah, definitely. And um, a question over Rune and, and going long distances as well. I think he's had a mm. sort of cramping history in the past. Yeah. So we're not sure fitness wise, you know, it sometimes is the case with, with very young players. But yeah, interesting matchup. Uh, we don't often have a like an all Scandinavian uh, you know, like night session, for example. So it's quite fun in that in that respect. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll touch base on that match a bit later on uh, as it's going on as we are speaking. Uh, but I think it's time for a quick ad break now joel uh we'll be back in the second half to discuss all of the ladies quarterfinals action from the french open so do not go anywhere Welcome back to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And let's move on to the ladies' quarterfinals um, from Roland Garros. We've had two of them today. We've had Svjontek against Pegula, and we've also had Kazakina against Kudometova. Um, let's start with Iga Svjontek uh, against Jessica Pegula. Uh, this was a straight sets affair, 6-3, 6-2. Um, much easier, I guess, than, than Svjontek's previous match against uh, Zheng of China. Um, we we were talking about this at the start of our last podcast about how Zheng kind of, you know, that start of that second set, she just sort of went completely off the boil, like we seemed to be really struggling. Um, she later came out and said it was because of severe menstrual cramps, um, which has kind of sparked up, you know, this whole conversation again about, you know, that time of the month women you know women's menstrual periods um problems and you know as a woman I I know that they can cause a lot of blooming hassle and it's something that I don't think gets talked about enough um you know that it does influence your life whether you're playing tennis doing another sort of job and um I'm glad that she opened up about this afterwards because it's you know she said she was in a lot of pain and you know men don't have to suffer from this it's it's a fact of life you know men do obviously have other aches and pains and I'm not saying they don't have pain at all but um you know it's something that i guess is it's like under the radar and, and perhaps you know people don't feel comfortable talking about it but i i'm glad that she um she opened up about that at the end because i think the more people talk about it obviously you know it's refreshing and but it's reality and um you know definitely put more context to what we saw you know of her performance on on the day because you know she from that first set afterwards you know she was she was a different player and you know it, now we know the reason it's uh, a lot more I guess understandable. Yeah definitely it's great I think to hear people break these so-called taboos particularly in a, in a, in a sporting context. Uh, I'm gonna hold my hand up I I didn't know like you know this could potentially be a thing and and, and affect a performance in this way so you know I, again I think it's great to sort of 
get the the message out there and say make people aware educate people about it and uh yeah i you know i have a newfound appreciation for Zhang, not just you know in terms of her ability on the on the tennis court particularly in relation to her shot making <laughs> when i'm going to be going to some live tennis hopefully over the uh grass court season i'm going to hopefully see her at some point uh we're going to make her make an, an attempt to see her anyway but um i i think you know she's added so much to this tournament particularly not just on the court in terms of that sort of shot making capability which was you know was in full flight um you know against Fionte. you know she's still the only player in the tournament to have taken a set off her but also off the court as well bringing to light some of these issues that as you said are just don't really get spoken about and you know I think if this hadn't been spoken about I think we would have been talking about you know her losing because of the the strapping on her leg uh being the the biggest you know injury and actually you know, there are other things going on so I'm, I'm glad that we are sort of made been made more aware of that so we can get this you know get this conversation opened up and not so not such a taboo subject I think in the sporting world definitely yeah I think breaking the taboo is is important and um mm. you know I'm, gl- I'm glad she as, as I said I'm glad she's she's spoken up and um see Shfriontek was was the beneficiary I guess in of that match and she's come through again her unbeaten run is now 33 matches uh, Jessica Pagula just not really able to to get into it today. Um, you know, she did test Shvontek like at the start of the match, a bit later on as well. You know, she was able to um to save a few match points before going down. But yeah, it when it came when push came to shove, you know, you always I think felt Shvontek was going to come through. I, I had full confidence. I mean, Kim, interestingly, in that first set, perhaps the biggest talking point of the match, there was a double bounce. Uh, mm. That wasn't called by the umpire. Listeners, if you just search Shviontek double bounce on, on social media, you should be able to to find it. But it was quite interesting. I think it was at three all and it was break point to Shviontek. And uh, yeah, she hit she hit it on a double bounce. Really obvious. I'm surprised the umpire. I actually think the umpire should have been able to to spot that. I mean, it was nearer than it was near the net. It wasn't as obvious on on TV watching it as a as a fan, but uh, yeah, I do think the umpire should have maybe spotted that. And and Shvontek did apologise after the match. She she didn't feel in the moment the 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 bounce. I think there will be people out there who will say that's up for debate. I personally think tennis players know when the the ball has bounced twice, but I I get that you know you can be so focused and in the moment like Shvontek was, and you're all intent on breaking your your opponent that you don't think about anything else and that I think is where the umpire should really be kind of stepping in and uh again I think that's another reason why we should have you know just a replay or a sort of <laughs> referral screen by the side of the the umpire you know we we had that as a, as a viewer literally 5 seconds later on the on the changeover so I don't see why it's not so difficult it could be integrated into the uh into the arsenal of the umpire and just get these things sort of cleared up because it wasn't a big moment in that match, you know, in that first set. I'm not necessarily saying it was decisive to the result, but certainly I think it could be something that could be, you know, ironed out uh, in the future. Yeah, I, I think we've seen in other in other matches though, like it wasn't necessarily decisive today, but we have seen in other matches in the past, mm. it, it it's completely potentially changed the dynamic of the, of the match when there's sort of like a, an injustice uh, or something that's not called. <laughs> um, we've definitely seen that before. I think there was actually one at Roland Garros. Was it with Laura yeah. Siegmund? Caroline Gars- I think it was Gars. Was it Garcia Siegmund? Oh, Mladenovic Siegmund. I- oh, some- Mladenovic- something like that. It was something- yeah, ago. I know. Mm. Yes. <laughs> and it was quite the scandal, wasn't it? <laughs> but yeah, Sviontek lives to fight another day. She's got two more matches to go. Can she do it? Uh, she's going to have to come through Dara Kazakina in the semi-final because she came through today against Veronica Kudemetova 6-4-7-6. So, yeah, first time in the semis of a slam for uh, for Kazakina. Um, I mean, this was, you know, obviously the battle of of two Russians who are both vying to to get into the stage of a slam for the first time. Um, You know... (sighs) I think the story of this match for me today was Kudometova was was too unreliable, too many unforced errors. You know, she, it just you know she she's got to rein that in if she wants to, to to progress further at these stages because you know she had a lot more winners but had double the number of unforced errors. 
and um, obviously going for her shots. But, you know, you've got to have that placement. You've got to rein it in a bit. <laughs> yeah, you do. You're not going to win a tennis match with 50 unforced errors, um, you know, particularly when your opponent's only making 25 of them. Um, and I, I, I did, I, you know, again, I thought this match was going to be won and lost on the unforced error count. And unfortunately, it was too high you know, for Kudometova. She did very well, I think, to take it to a, a tiebreak in the in the second set, but um Kasatkina stayed very composed and was able to kind of pull out the victory. I think it will be very interesting to see her match and how it goes against Sriontek in the uh, you know in the semi-final. I can't Kim, honestly, I can't help but think some of the serves that, that Kasakina was putting into the court, even her first serves, they must be some of the slowest first serves on the uh on the WTA tour. And I, I think against an opponent like Sviontek, she is going to be looking at that as a big opportunity, a big opening for her to real make, to really make inroads, I think, into the, the Kasatkina, you know, service, you know, service game uh, through, you know, their semi-final. And I think Kasatkina is going to need to be able to, to manage that in, manage that in terms of making sure that the placement of the serve is, is where it needs to be making it kind of more difficult for Sviontek than just sort of dropping it in because at times against Kudometova, it just felt like that serve, it just felt like that serve was there for the taking. Yeah, for sure. It was, um, it, it was there for the taking and, and Kazakina took it. So, um, yeah, and I, I remember texting you, I think in that last, well, not last set, second set tie break thinking, yay for Kazakina. Like, I'm, I'm really pleased that she's, she's, you know that she came through no offense to Kudometova um it's just really nice to see Kazakina you know as as a former top 10 player you know she's been in two previous like slam quarters and you know she went 6-1 up in that tie break and I was like oh she's she's home and dry and then like gradually Kudometova was coming back and I thought oh no I've put the curse on it now by uh by jumping the gun on that one but yeah she was um she came through and um I mean I expect Shvontek will win but I think Kazakina will be an interesting an interesting matchup for her and um I mean I don't think the the four girls we've got in the in the in the the semis are the four we would have predicted I mean Shriontek yes but you know maybe Coco Goff but certainly not Martina Trevisan I mean let's talk about her match with Leila Fernandez because um you know this was a three-set battle 6-2 6-7 6-3 Trevor San, obviously former quarterfinalist here in 2020. I think we all probably thought that was just like a one-off flash in the pan because since then, like we were saying on the tour, she has just not not really done anything of note. Um, and then here she comes back, you know, winning Rabat last week and then, you know, winning, what, five matches on the trot here. You know, it it's sort of remarkable. And I, I mean, like I said, I predicted Fernandez for this match. I thought, you know, she would get the better of her. But Trevor Sam was... was was really really good um I mean like it, it was it was an eb- you know the match ebbed and flowed obviously she dropped that second set on the tie break but she was um you know the opening set was very one-sided she was um really um really just like dominating at times and that the forehand especially was just um like really impressive and like that that last set you know after having lost that second set on the tie break she went straight into a four love lead and was just you know I've really impressive what I've seen from her this week and I think she um obviously going one round further than than the quarters in 2020 can she go can she go yet another round further we'll see it was an interesting match I think it was an unfortunate match because for me because you know Fernandez as well as Trevor Sam played you know Fernandez did suffer an injury um you know during that match and uh, I think it did sort of you know hamper her performance on the court I mean she I think she rolled her ankle or she had some sort of foot injury which was acknowledged um afterwards but you know she did really well I think to to take that that second set on on a tie break there were lots of breaks of serve you know I did feel like this was a match where it was again going to come down to who was going to make the less errors I felt both players I felt both players at time looked quite nervous to be quite honest you know there was it was almost a struggle I feel for for each of them to to hold serve. And um, I think Travis Sang got a little bit of um, not, not necessarily luck, but certainly I think she was helped by Fernandez immobility due to her, um, due to the injury she she suffered on the court. And although, you know, Fernandez has run, I think in you know, the U S open back last year when she got to the final. And, you know, I remember all the, you know, the big names she was taking out and, 
you know she was almost like the comeback queen always winning in in three sets and again when when she did take that that second set I did sort of wonder you know was this gonna go the same sort of way because you know she is a a big game player I think she's got a terrific never say die mentality we've seen that on the on the tour this year but I think you just felt that she knew deep down that an injury her foot was really kind of impeding her in that third set and as much as she was trying to fight and battle on it was really kind of an uphill struggle and that again it led to kind of Trevisan seizing the initiative and ultimately winning the match. Yeah, I mean, you've got to take each match at a time, haven't you? And and you're playing your opponent, who maybe he does have an injury, battling nerves. You know, it's all um, who can on that given day come out stronger, both mentally and physically. And you know, Trevor San, I guess, ticked both boxes better than Fernandez. And I hope Fernandez's injury isn't too like long term. Hopefully, she'll bounce back. I mean, Kim, it's quite interesting because uh, Leila Fernandez victories over the last three Sams. She's beaten players like Naomi Osaka, Angelique Kerber, Sabalenka, Svitolina, Bencic, Anisimova. But her her last three slam losses have been Radicanu, Madison Inglis and Martina Trevisan. So there's quite a, you know, there's quite a comparison there in terms of, you know, she, I think revels, as I said, she definitely revels in those big, game environments where she's up against celebrated opponents players with high rankings she really I think thrives on that that level of competition but you know is there an argument to say where you know when she comes up against players that maybe she's expected to beat or you know against players who are lower ranked there is a bit of a there is a bit of a block there in terms of you know getting getting the job done I guess so. Yeah, I think, I mean, yes, she's made a slam final now, but that was very much with the matches that she won to get to that slam final. She was the underdog and she kept coming back, didn't she? And winning those like tight three set battles. So perhaps she doesn't naturally feel comfortable being the one that's expected to win, um, you know, the higher ranked player. So we'll have to see as as she goes forward. I mean, she's still so young. I, I don't really put her in that category of of really someone to kind of hunt down and you know she's not she's she's there or thereabouts but she's she's not going to be someone that you're relying on to get always to the latter stages so I think quarters here is is a really pretty good result from from her and you know it's, it's a very consistent result in in its way better than what I think a second or first round loss to Inglis like uh, she had at the AO um, and we'll have to see what Trevor Sand can do against Coco Goff because Goff came through against Stevens in the All-American encounter um, this is Coco Goff's first major semi-final you know she's only 18 still She's here at this stage without having even dropped a set. Seven five six two. She came through yesterday against uh, Sloane Stevens. Uh, I thought again. I got this wrong. I thought Stevens was going to come through this one. You know, she'd been playing really, really well. Um, but you know, Goff was really. I think the the, the key thing with this one was um, you know her return of serve was was exceptional. She was able to break a lot of the time she had the opportunities to do so. She played the big points very well. Exactly. Yeah. Sloane wasn't taking the opportunities in the same way that Coco was. So I think like that's that's cr- critical. You know, you've got to do that, especially in these big matches. So um, it was a great great match. Coco Goff very very solid. Um, and you'd have to pick her against Trevisan, I think, if she can maintain the composure that she showed in this match against Sloan. I think I'd, I'd be picking yeah. her to make her first slam final. Yeah, I think you know I, I watched both of these these matches, and I think I think the level of tennis, to be honest, in the in the Goff in the Goff Stevens match was was higher from from both players in than in the, the Fernandez Trevisan match. If I'm being quite honest, but I think yeah, Goff was. You know, in that match against Stevens, Goff was just very, very good from the back of the court. I felt like she was an absolute wall at time. Her, you know, her defensive play, you know, Stevens was trying to move her from side to side, but she kept getting the ball back. She kept Stevens making her play that that extra ball. And, um, you know, Stevens was, you know, flustered at times. And as a result, she was missing easy shots, um, you know, particularly in the, in the second set. There was a big moment, um, you know, midway through, think Stevens had a very easy makeable volley at the net like like super easy you would have thought any sort of player could have made that you know 99 times out of 100 and she just dumped it into the net and uh you know that would have been her opportunity to break and you know she wasn't able to get it done 
Goff came through her service game and, um, you know, she went on to win and uh, she looks very, 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 very composed, you know, for her age. It's again, it's amazing to see these these teenagers just be able to kind of walk onto these courts and, and you know, go and, and make a Grand Slam semi-final. And, you know, if Amelie Moresmo, I think, is like, well, there's not enough, there's not enough stars on the on the tour at the moment, I think, you know, this, this tournament in one sense is a, is a shot in the arm in the sense it could be Coco Goff's, uh, you know, coming out party. Who knows? Is it maybe as a Grand Slam finalist or even a, a Grand Slam champion? We don't know, but she certainly, I think, is a player who you know, we've been looking at for a while. And this, I think, is going to put her even make her even more of a high profile player um, in the tour than she currently is. Yeah, for sure. And um, I mean, I'm looking at a golf Shrontek final, which I think would be really, mm. really quite compelling. You know, two very young yeah. players at different stages of their careers. You know, one like what well, Shrontek's slightly older, right at the top of her game at the moment. But Coco Golf is the one that, you know, just a few years ago, everyone went nuts over at Wimbledon. Mm. You know, I still remember it was so exciting. Um, and here she is like three years later. I think, yeah, I watched, you know, watching Goff against Stevens. She's just, she just doesn't get faced by the occasion. I think she's very fearless on a tennis court. And I think that's what you need if you come up against someone like an Iga Svantec. You're not going to be, you're not going to be intimidated by the person across from you. You're not going to be intimidated by, you know, whatever streak she is on. And I think that, again, for me is why it could be such an interesting match if we do get a Coco Goff Iga Svantec final. You know, we've still got obviously two semi-finals before that, but I think Goff has that that mentality and that attitude that makes that makes me think that she could, you know, she could trouble um Svantec if if that matchup arises. And, you know, to be talking about that, you know, for her at 18 years old is is really incredible. You know, Stone Stevens is a very, very good Grand Slam player. She's got to a, a Grand Slam final at, at the French Open before. But um, yeah, today, Coco Goff just brought a better level of tennis. Absolutely. And uh, well, that pretty much rounds up our quarterfinal catch-up. I mean, obviously, we've still got one of the men's... Uh quarters underway just gonna check in with the score yeah rude won that first set 6-1 let's hope rune can uh make a bit more of a match of it give the uh the night session crowd something to to cheer for before <laughs> they have to get their last will the blankets home. be coming out kim that's what i want to know will the blankets <laughs> oh, be coming out it's quarter past 10 there i'm sure they're already out um <laughs> I should but, get yeah. on ebay after this actually and just see if any of those any of those french open blankets are on uh being uh being sold online maybe um <laughs> quite possibly. but uh yeah no, we <laughs> we do have the women's semi-finals tomorrow kim kim i'm gonna put you on the spot we've got shviontek katakina trevisan goff this is your opportunity to redeem yourself from your terrible predictions uh that have happened so far in the tournament i i admittedly have also had a few stinkers but shviontek katakina trevisan goff who are you going with in how many sets Oh, uh, Shviontek and Goff. Uh, Shviontek in two sets and Goff in two sets as well. What about you? Um, I'm going to go Shviontek in three. I think Kasekin is going to cause Shviontek a few problems. Um, maybe even beat her at a game, her own game uh, for a set. But uh, yeah, Shviontek in three and yeah, I, I think Coco Goff in two. So we'll we'll have to we'll have to wait and see but uh yeah it's it's shaping up to be a very fun fun uh, day off tomorrow the start of the the platinum jubilee in the UK so i couldn't think of any way better to celebrate kim than to watch some women's semi-finals on philip chatrier well exactly yeah no it's it's a platy jubes as people are calling it <laughs> <laughs> we've got the mixed doubles final as well between akery and vliegen and Kuhoff and shibahara so that's on at a ridiculous time, 11 a.m., sorry, 12 p.m. local time for the mixed doubles final. Like, why don't they do that, you know, on the weekend, like every other tournament? I don't know, it's a bit too early, I think, for Thursday. Uh, then the two women's semis. Um, we've also got a collector set update. So now that Djokovic is out, we've got um, a completed collector set. Uh, we've got three people who are tied on two correct answers, which is myself uh, Leo loves tennis and also uh, Phil McAllister so what we'll do is um, we'll contact 
myself and uh, Leo and Phil uh, with a tiebreak question, which will be probably based around the finals action this weekend uh, to come to a, a definitive outcome for collector sets. So, yeah, very low scoring compared to, um, I think, our Australian Open collector set where we were getting like you know, almost, you know, someone almost got six correct uh, right, I think, uh, wasn't it? So, yeah, it was uh, completely different, but that, that's the way it goes, isn't it? The less said, the better. No, it's been a, it's been a, it's a bit of very, very unpredictable tournament. And uh, yeah, um, we'll see if the shocks, we'll, sh- we'll see if the shocks continue. But listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this quarterfinals catch up with the passing shot. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all forthcoming action at Roland Garros over finals weekend on whatever device you listen to us on. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the downloadtennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Passing Shot Pod. Uh, you can also let us know any feedback or comments that you've got uh, from the podcasts on those social channels. Or if you prefer, feel free to email us, passingshotpod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website, www.thepassingshot.co.uk. And we will be back on Saturday morning at Passing Shot HQ for our semi-finals catch-up. We'll also be looking forward to all the finals action over the weekend. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.